I've read and I think profited from traditional self-help books that feature an author giving direct advice about how to live well. But modern self-help books don't offer the kind of insights or sense of urgency found in the death of Ivan Illich. The story serves as a cautionary tale of the most powerful kind, a dreadful read about not living well that compels a reader to take inventory of his own life. Welcome to Sauce Talk, the podcast about the overlaps between sports and mental life and living well in general. This is Billy Hansen. And today's episode, I'm going to try something a little bit different. Uh, generally, these are interviews with athletes, coaches, psychologists, and anyone else who might have interesting interesting things to say about the topics that I'm exploring here. But I'm going to try something new today and see if it works. Um, I recently reread The Death of Ivan Illich, which is one of the most impactful books that I've ever read, and I wrote an essay about it. And I figured I'd just read some of the essay and kind of talk about my thoughts about it and see if it turns out um, like something I'd like to publish. So my opa first gave me this book when I was in college, and he told me that it was one of the most impactful books that he had ever read. He actually recently told me again that when he was in in graduate school studying English, he had a really great professor. And when the professor assigned the book, it's a very short book, he said, this is one of the most impactful books that you'll ever read in your life. And my opa, my grandfather said that, you know, he was kind of skeptical of this claim. How could a book from the middle of the 18th or the 19th century in Russia be one of the most impactful books? But he said it didn't take him long to realize that the professor was telling the truth when he said this. And I... When I first read it in college, I remember picking it up. I think I was it was a, during like my summer training for basketball, and it was in a, kind of a break in the middle of the day in between workouts. And I picked it up, and I remember reading it from start to finish without putting it down, and being kind of fascinated and horrified all at once as I read it. And I recently reread it, and now that I'm probably five years older, it hit me in a kind of a new way. And I had a bunch of thoughts about it that I had to put down. And so here, I'm just going to read some of the essay and talk about it and see where this goes. So the essay starts, Leo Tolstoy's The Death of Ivan Illich, first published in 1886, is a story about a high court judge facing his own mortality. Illich is described as a conventionally successful man in his mid-40s who did his best to move through life pleasantly and properly. Every aspect of his life, his career, his marriage, his social connections, was approved of by his peers and was devoid of authenticity or passion. One example was his marriage, and now I'm quoting the book. Ivan Illich had at first no definite intention of marrying, but when the girl fell in love with him, he said to himself, really, why shouldn't I marry? Praskovka Fredinovia, I'm going to butcher all these Russian names, came from a respectable family, was not bad-looking, and possessed some little property. Ivan might have aspired to be a more brilliant match, but this was good enough. He had his salary, and she, he hoped, would have an equal income. She was well-connected and was a sweet, pretty, and thoroughly correct young woman. To say that Ivan Illich married because he fell in love with Preskofia Fredinova 
and found that she sympathized with his views of life would be as incorrect as to say that he married because his social circle approved of the match. He was swayed by both of these considerations. The marriage gave him personal satisfaction, and at the same time it was considered the right thing by the most highly placed of his associates. So Ivan Illich got married. So this is one of the beginning points of the story where you realize that this man, Ivan Illich, who is enjoying a pleasant and proper life, sort of falls in love with this girl, Praskinova, but really it just seems like the kind of easy thing to do. And what really sways him in his decision to marry her was that the people above him in his social status or in his you know career circle approved of the marriage. So he just thought, yeah, why not? Even though you know, it, it, it's in stark contrast to the kind of beautiful love and connection that you find in other stories where, you know, it's this spark of emotion and depth and love and the marriage seems like like it was supposed to happen. It was devoid of passion and the kind of usual beauty that comes with people falling in love. And so the story goes on from there, but to Ivan's disappointment, marriage and family life interfered with the pleasant and comfortable existence he'd been enjoying. In response to conflicts with his wife and the demands of his children, he took solace in his work and spent more and more time climbing the professional and social ladder. The higher he climbed, the more he spent upgrading his lifestyle, which kept the family financially stressed. And after a promotion at work, he purchased what he felt to be a dream house, and it gave him temporary pleasure. So this is something that unfortunately probably happens all too often. Career-oriented people, when they are stressed out, they bury themselves in their work, and it's can be thought of as a you know deliberate use of time. And I think you know working hard on on challenging things is a great use of time, but it can also be used as a distraction from the kind of underlying falseness that is going on in one's life in general, life at large. So here's what um, in the book. This is what Tolstoy writes about the house. In reality, it was just what is usually seen in the houses of people of moderate means who want to appear rich and therefore succeed only in resembling others like themselves. There are damasks, dark wood, plants, rugs, and dull and polished bronzes, all the things people of a certain class have in order to resemble other people of that class. His house was so like to others that it would have never been noticed, but to him it seemed to be quite exceptional. So, continuing with my my voice in the essay, Ivan and his wife were able to maintain reasonable moods and dispositions so so long as they had something to do, like purchasing new furniture to complete a room in the house or showing off their home to well-regarded people in society. So life moved on as Ivan wanted it to, quote, easily, pleasantly, and decorously. And these these descriptions happen repeatedly in the book. It's a theme of the book that Ivan is basically manipulating his circumstances so that his life stays easy, pleasant, and that you know he, he doesn't actually have to face any true discomfort or suffering. There are a lot of scenes in the book where he you know escapes the kind of conflict that he's having with his wife and the unlove with his family, and he just plays bridge with his friends for hours. And he's a really smart guy. You know, he generally wins at bridge, but there's some pretty hilarious, well, not hilarious, but interesting scenes where Tolstoy describes him as he's he's most satisfied when he wins at bridge but not too much because then he doesn't have to feel guilty for taking his friend's money it's just the, the perfect amount of comfort that he likes to stay in so now I continue with my essay all this changed as the pain in Ivan's side 
which he first dismissed as an inconsequential bruise, grew more and more painful. He had suffered the injury while hanging a new curtain. In response to the increased pain, he became increasingly irritable, taking his anger out on his wife and children with bursts of rage at the dinner table. This behavior fed the resentment that his wife felt for him. So I recently spoke with my grandfather, my opa, about the book again. And my grandfather said that when he was in class in graduate school, one of his classmates asked the professor why he thought Tolstoy had the injury come from hanging a new curtain. And the professor, who my grandfather liked and respected and admired, said that it's the perfect way for the biggest dumbass on planet Earth to to die, is to have the, the injury start while hanging a curtain. So basically, Ivan is spending his life in distraction and comfort and when he's hanging a new curtain in his house and is you know overly expensive and you know house that he's trying to appear rich in he suffers a bruise while he falls hanging a curtain so here's another quote in the book describing ivan's wife and how she feels about him having come to the conclusion that her husband had a dreadful temper and made her life miserable she began to feel sorry for herself and the more she pitied herself the more she hated her husband she began to wish he would die Yet she did not want him to die because then his salary would cease. And this irritated her against him still more. She considered herself dreadfully unhappy just because not even his death could save her. And though she concealed her exasperation, the hidden exasperation of hers increased his irritation also. And so as Ivan's health deteriorates, the, the friction between him and his wife continues to spiral and he just becomes more and more miserable and worried. Uh, Back to my essay. As Ivan's health deteriorated, he found it increasingly difficult to manipulate his circumstances as he'd managed to do throughout his adult life. His pain grew deeper and less bearable, a wretched taste in his mouth grew increasingly disgusting, and he lost strength and energy. It finally became clear, first to his wife and friends and finally to him, that he was dying, and it was only a matter of time, and this realization pitched Ivan into unbearable psychological suffering. He couldn't accept or understand the truth. As his condition worsened, he struggled with thoughts about how he'd lived his life and wondered how someone like him could suffer such a random and miserable death at the age of 45. It had become apparent that he was a burden to his wife and children and that they supported him only to the the degree that seemed appropriate to the rest of society. Their lack of true love was exposed during his time of greatest need. And this now gets to the point, the most touching point of the book and probably the main the main point of the book is as his health is deteriorating his wife comes by and it's really really dark and hideous scenes where she basically they're so they're so devoid of truth that they can't even speak about the fact that he's dying every time they interact she basically chastises him for not taking his medicine or doing what the doctors say Ivan's now seen, you know, five or six different doctors and different holistic healers, all kinds of people at this point. And whenever Ivan's and his wife are around other company, Ivan's wife makes kind of offhanded remarks about, well, you know, Ivan can't take his medicine on time. And she's basically the, the, the whole, the, the, the sum of their interactions come from Ivan in pain and her just reminding him to take his medicine and then leaving as fast as she can. And honestly, you know, most of his kids are doing the same thing. They come and check on him, but he understands that he's just a burden in, to them. And I think one t- at one point, Tolstoy describes the feeling that he has as of being someone with an unpleasant odor who's walking into a room. 
he's just you know an unhelpful burden to to everyone else who wants to live pleasantly and decorously and easily just like he had his whole life but the the most sympathetic character in the story and the perfect contract contrast to ivan is his young servant garrison so here's back to my essay Garrison, Ivan's young servant, was Ivan's only source of relief as his health deteriorated. Garrison is the perfect contrast to Ivan, young, healthy, vibrant, compassionate, and he's the only major character in the story who isn't motivated by vanity and shallow materialism. To provide relief, Garrison often supported the weight of Ivan's legs on his sturdy shoulders for hours at a time. Here's a quote from the book. He felt comforted when Garrison supported his legs, sometimes all night long, and refused to go to bed, saying, Don't you worry, Ivan Illich, I'll get sleep enough later on. Or when he suddenly became familiar and exclaimed, If you weren't sick, it would be another matter. But as it is, why should I grudge a little trouble? Garrison alone did not lie. Everything showed that he alone understood the facts of the case and did not consider it necessary to disguise them, but simply felt sorry for his emaciated and enfeebled master. Once, when Ivan Illich was sending him away, he even said straight out, we shall all of us die, so why should I grudge a little trouble? Expressing the fact that he did, he did not think his work burdensome because he was doing it for a dying man and hoped someone would do the same for him when his time came someday. So this is really probably the most emotionally charged part of the book and the, the heaviest part is where this Garrison, who is a servant, and you know this is back in pre-Russian Revolution, so this was there was still kind of a peasant class and an aristocracy and there were people who basically just worked they they weren't slaves necessarily but there was a very very vast uh, disparity between classes in russia and so garrison was part of the you know the the supportive class to ivan and his wealth but garrison is shown throughout the book as someone who is actually living what tolstoy is obviously trying to show as a as a a good and truthful life and the scenes of Garrison standing for hours at the end of Ivan's bed, holding Ivan's legs up on his shoulders because it obviously provides not only physical relief from all the pain that Ivan's suffering, but also psychological relief to see someone who's so young and healthy and strong with comp- true compassion. It really brings relief to, to Ivan, and these scenes are really great. So as Ivan continues to deteriorate, he starts having psychological torment. It becomes worse than even than the physical pain. And so back to my essay here. At first, Ivan refused to accept the fact that he hadn't lived well. Finally, as he recounted his life from his deathbed, he realized he'd wasted his precious years. Here's a quote from the book. Quote, His marriage, a mere accident, then the disenchantment that followed it, his wife's bad breath and the sensuality and hypocrisy, then that de- deadly official life and those preoccupations about money, a year of it, and two, and ten, and twenty, and always the same thing. And the longer it lasted, the more deadly it became. It is as if I had been going downhill while I imagined I was going up, and that is really what it was. I was going up in public opinion, but to the same extent life was ebbing away from me, and now it is all done and there is only death. End quote. And back to my essay, there are after three days of screaming and agonizing pain and a touching moment with his youngest son, Ivan finally died. So, yeah, I mean, this is, incre- it was incredibly kind of painful. I remember the first time I read it, and again, this time as I read it, 
it really does put kind of like a pit in your stomach as you read this, just thinking about the way Tolstoy describes the kind of agony and agonizing pain that this man is going through as he dies. And the real the realization that he had kind of just wasted away his precious years on earth and that, you know, he just didn't think it was possible that all of a sudden, so randomly at the age of 45, life could be taken from him. And he, he has, you know, existential dread. He, he wrestles with the idea of God and how God could be punishing and torturing him like this if he existed. And it, it's really worth reading as just kind of a a horrific but also really powerful final ending to a book. And so I, I continue on here in the essay. I've read and I think profited from traditional self-help books that feature an author giving direct advice about how to live well. But modern self-help books don't offer the kind of insights or sense of urgency found in the death of Ivan Illich. The story serves as a cautionary tale of the most powerful kind a dreadful read about not living well that compels a reader to take inventory of his own life. And this was the kind of the most striking thing that I got from the book this time around was that, you know, I spent some time reading normal modern self-help that features an author saying things like, you know, you've got to seize the day, you've got to outwork the people around you, you've got to meditate, you've got to do all of these kind of positive life things. And I think that it's really great to read books like that, but it really doesn't have the kind of force that a story like this book does and that you're actually living the experience temporarily of someone who didn't live well and it, it can kind of shock you into action to to you know to take inventory like i said of, of your own life and to um course correct where you need to so and i also the other thing i got from reading this right now was a kind of new interpretation of the current moment that we're all living through so my essay continues as I reread this short novel last month, my interpretation of our current situation began to change. The coronavirus pandemic has changed our lives drastically. The change has been a painful process, and, this, and the discomfort is compounded by fear about health and economic turmoil. But this sudden interpretation also serves as an opportunity. Here is the most sad and painful realization Ivan Illich experienced as he died. It occurred to him that what had appeared perfectly impossible before, namely that he had not spent his life as he should have, might after all be true. It occurred to him that his scarcely perceptible attempts to struggle against what was considered good by the most highly placed people, those scarcely noticeable impulses which he had immediately suppressed, might have been the real thing, and all the rest false. And his professional duties, and the whole arrangement of his life and family, and all his social and official interests might have been false. He tried to defend all those things to himself and son suddenly felt the weakness of what he was defending. There was nothing to defend. And so I finished the essay here. When things are humming along, quote unquote, normally, it's easy to become consumed with the kinds of comfortable distractions that characterized Ivan Illich's life and to prioritize the wrong things as a result. I'm trying to view the pandemic not only as a scary and uncomfortable burden, but also as an opportunity to identify any false aspects in my own life that resemble Ivan Illich's. If I find it necessary, I'll do my best to change course. So one of the main takeaways that I got from the book was that because of Ivan Illich's position in society, he was able to manipulate his circumstances to remain comfortable and to kind of hide himself in this kind of false lifestyle and cover over all of the the kind of discomfort and pain that he would have had to go through to kind of either improve or change his life in necessary ways. 
And he was able to do this because he was capable and smart and he moved his way up society and he really did do well in the traditional sense. But on his deathbed, he realized that he had been, as he said, moving, you know, sliding downhill as he thought he was climbing up and that most of what he had done was a waste of time. And all of that, you know, really was glaring when he, at the moment when his family was supposed to come come together and be with him during his dying days, there was just friction and pain and hatred between all of them. Um, so the one thing that the coronavirus did to us, and I say us as like some of the most privileged human beings in the species history, uh, Americans who you know, our, the level of safety, comfort, and wealth that we enjoy is just, you know, it's astounding compared to the course of human history. And that's awesome. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want, I'm really grateful for that. But it also comes with the risk of sliding into that kind of comfortable haze that characterized Ivan Illich's life. And so one thing that the coronavirus pandemic has done, other than add stress, fear, complication to all of our lives, is it may have been the kind of shakeup that grants an opportunity to reflect on our own life paths. And it's the kind of, you know, built in discomfort that forces us to kind of put pressure on our assumptions and um, the kind of ways that we're living. And maybe to reemphasize the kind of things that we'll actually care about when we look back on our lives, like love and connection and spending our time in productive ways. And part of this podcast is about mental training. And so whether you're an athlete or a coach or someone who is not involved in athletics at all, or if you're you know, developing a meditation practice, whatever your situation is, reading a book like this, I think, can be a very motivating form of mental training that can kind of propel you to, to sharpen up your priorities. And I, I've definitely taken that kind of attitude away from reading this book for the second time. So I hope you enjoyed my first audio essay. And I think I'm going to be experimenting in different ways as we go forward here and see what I like to do and what people resonate with. So thank you for listening and until next time. If you like the podcast, please consider subscribing to my newsletter, which you can find at billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. This is the best way to stay in contact with my work as I'll be sending out new podcast announcements along with other written content. You can also support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts subscribing on Spotify, or sending the podcast to someone who you think might like it. Thank you for listening and for your support. It's a sauce.